the possibilities they have in coping with their own problems. And as an example, I was asked at a school in my neighborhood, and they said, well, could you come and help us? We have a problem with a chaotic way of uh, behavior at a school entrance. And I entered over there. And the moment I came there, I thought, well, I've been here before. And I looked a bit more closely. He said, well, this is the third time I'm here. And he looked again. He said, well, I can't imagine what the problem is. So I entered the school, and all the parents were sitting over there with some teachers, and I listened for about a quarter of an hour. They explained the problems. Speeding, uh, chaotic parking, children having to cross the street because, uh, between parked cars, and so on and so on. And after I had heard all those complaints, I said, well, what I perceive from what you're telling me, you're saying you have a problem. I don't think you have a problem. I think you are a problem. <laughs> we changed it three times, but you refuse to change your behavior. I don't care. I'm not responsible for your behavior. And how do you think I could solve your problem if you refuse to change your behavior? And from that moment on, I changed my attitude toward many of the problems I faced. We took over many of the responsibilities from people. And as long as we take over, people won't take their responsibility. From the moment you say, it's not my problem, and I hope I will never see you again about traffic problems, it stops. And they suddenly realize it's our problem. We have to solve it. And why can't they solve it when they have 12 teachers on that school and they know each other from the children? How come they ask me? I have no idea. Just a shift in responsibilities. Make me responsible for their problem. And I think in very, very many cases, that's what's going on. And it only will stop as soon as you say, well, I think you are the problem. Uh, driving along the coast side in spring, and you see suddenly a sign, please drive carefully, storks. We have only eight of those wild animals left in Holland. So that's very rare. So I wanted to see that animal, and I had luck. A little bit further along the road, there it was. <laughs> and when you look a little bit more closely, there's a boy being born called Tom. It's written on the wing. And when you look at the road, I think that Tom has been born yesterday. Father started working again and put all the mud on the road with his tractor. And now you could discuss with my colleagues, for instance, I think a sign is needed, mud on the road. I think that's wisdom. When it's raining, it's quite dangerous. But why not one for the fact that the doctor is coming at, uh, at 12, the midwife is coming at 9 o'clock in the morning, and the whole family will come at 2000 in the evening, and maybe that the neighbors will come at about 5 o'clock when all the milking has been done. Why only one with a cow would become some risk, and not when society is endangered? How foolish are we with all the signs? Because you know almost anything about a family. When the wash is also outside, you know how many children they have, where they live, and you can see that father started working, the boy has been born yesterday. What more do you need to know to behave in the right way? And what I want to show you with this picture, that as traffic engineers, we fully neglected the context with all our signs. We made the road an anonymous place. Yes, and then you have to explain all the things. This is actually the picture that's shown. Traffic, that's my profession, the gray area. And the green area, I had no idea about. But it's exactly the green area that's the context for traffic, where the most biggest changes in behavior come from. So it should be part of my profession. And then actually at the end of the 60s, actually we started a war against cars, and this is called the crossing lampposts. It was quite creative in those years, but it looks horrible. It is horrible. 
are people didn't accept all those clutter on the street and we hired some artists who said well you have to bring some rhythm in it then the acceptance will be much higher and we did I don't know if the acceptance was higher but it still is ugly and we made things with Woonwarden so complicated that we had to design new signs for people how to get out and then in that period my superior said to me Whenever you go along, the way you're doing it, with all those clutter on the streets, will stop you. And I left my job, just crossing the countryside with my car and meeting people and being the expert. So I thought, well, okay. And within a few weeks, it was this village asking me for some help because they have problems with speeding, some 1,500 children going to school on bike. But all the normal instruments were taken away from me. So... When you're young, you can't say, I don't know. So I said, maybe you should build something more village-like. I had no idea what I meant with it, but, well, it was just an answer. But after a few months, I was asked, what did you mean with it? I said, well, just as an escape, don't you have a city planner? A consultant, yeah, they had one. And someone from Green, yeah, I said, also a consultant. Well, if we could cooperate, all three of us, to make a design, I think we could build something village-like, and we did. And it looked like this. And after some months, I wanted to measure the speed. I needed a lot of courage because I thought, nothing, no flower pots, nothing in the street. This can't work. This won't work at all. But it was so strange. I took my radar gun and wanted to measure the speed. I couldn't. That the overall speed over the old trajectory was lower than 30 kilometers an hour. That the radar gun didn't accept even those low figures. I had never perceived such a drop in speed before. Because when you add all those clutter to the street, it's about 10% reduction all over the whole trajectory. And suddenly we made a simple street look a little bit like a village, and speed drops more than half. It turned my whole world upside down. It was the first time I experienced that things were different. And it took me some 15 years in understanding what happened. And even, I think you know it immediately, it's that simple. If you want people to behave as in a church, you have to build a church and not a disco. And what we did, we built discos. And of course people behave differently. That there is a very, very strong relation between the way you design spaces and the behavior of people. We never took it in account as engineers. We just built it the way we thought we had to organize things. And this is a few years, years later. It's now 25 years ago, and now it changed again, badly. And why? Well, our new bred engineers don't have this knowledge. And they didn't know anything about the story before. So they simply changed it for maintenance reasons, and it looks again horrible now. So if we don't bring this knowledge into the heads of our new engineers, it will never stop. I could end up, up to my dad in doing these kind of things without any change. And it's not so difficult. We all know when you drive with your car on the camping site that you drive very carefully. You're part of the context. And maybe the people you're meeting now are your neighbors within two minutes. You don't know. So it's the context that is so strongly influencing our behavior. So if you have a problem with the camping site along the road, there's an 80-kilometer road with a camping site with more than 20,000 people in summer. We simply put a tent in the middle of the road and made a little square around it. And in summer, it's crowded with bicycles and people meeting each other. Sometimes a caravan is waiting for some entrance. It's a very social place now. And we haven't had any accident since we changed it for 10 years ago. It's that simple. <laughs>